You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Coffee Spot Podcast. Welcome back to the Coffee Clatch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And we have Ryan back for this episode. Woohoo! Finally Hi, back, yeah. Uh, one of I've the, been wanting to do these podcasts for so long. We've been wanting you to do it. Mm-hmm. You're uh, one of the fan favorites for our Mr. Robot reviews. He's the one that will check us if we make any mistakes. And, yeah. uh, and Try. <laughs> or he made one mistake, and we didn't check him. But we won't right. relive that. Just the last name mistake. was wrong. Yeah. It was a good mistake. <laughs> so thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I uh, just moved to Germany, so uh, it's been rough. That's why I haven't been able to come on. So time- what time is it there right yeah. now, Ryan? It's, uh, let's see, what is it? It's 6 by you. It's 1230 over here. 630 over there. Oh, see what wow. he's risking for you guys for the podcast? <laughs> We're going to have him up till 2 o'clock in the morning. Sleep deprivation. Speaking of corrections, before we get started, our listener Dana wrote in to give us a correction to our music note from last episode 5. The song Claire de Lune is actually by Claude Debussy. So our fact checker was wrong. Thank you very much, Dana. Yeah, thank you. I love it when clatchers are on our side and, and, and find the uh, mistakes. Today we're reviewing episode 106, The Adversary, directed by Frederick E. O. Toy, written by Haley Gross and Jonathan Nolan. IMDb gave this a 9.4, Rotten Tomatoes an 86%. What? 9.4 and 86%. That's about on par, though, with what they've been giving the show this season. This is bullshit. I was reading an article about how it hasn't been renewed for a second season yet, and I was very disappointed by that. They say that the you know, ratings aren't as high as they wanted them, I guess. I don't know. But uh, I don't understand it because I think the show is awesome. They're pretty damn high, though. If you look at the numbers they've been getting, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not... <laughs> at Game of Thrones level yet, but right. they're getting pretty close in that season one. Even Game of Thrones was nowhere near that at season one. Also, I think that it's eventually going to be renewed for season two. I think the problem is it's a huge budget right now. I yeah, feel they like they're probably being asked to cut back a little bit, yeah. and then they will be. They spent so much. I forgot. Yeah. We said it in episode one. I forget the number. It was a lot of money unprecedented for a first season show but your thoughts on this episode overall i know that i i really liked episodes one two and three i -hmm. was a little bit lower on four and five still liking it but not as high this is my favorite episode so my favorite too yeah i like this episode a lot i don't know if it's my favorite but it's probably pretty pretty far up there i you know it's rough because i haven't been rating them doing the podcast Hmm. i can't really think back about what what other episodes you know or just haven't gone as in-depth into the episodes as right. I usually like to. You can store them all up for when we do the bonus cast, Ryan. And we, yeah. go, we go through our ratings. The adversary we talked about, the title name could be the original name for Satan is one of the meanings. But we also see the straightforward meaning when the man in black asks Dr. Ford if he's created a worthy adversary for him to stop him from finding the maze. Right. But that was last episode. Yeah. So it's him. Right, but the title of, of episode six is The Adversary. 
Right. So it could really. I feel like we didn't get an adversary in this, or I didn't feel like I, like I when I looked back and I saw the name again, I was like, I don't remember them really establishing an adversary other than to Lee. Maybe Arnold. Well, you you got Teresa, who was the unexpected data smuggler Mm -hmm. and could eventually be an adversary depending on who we are siding with here. I guess it's. Interesting because I thought the way the man in black was talking to Dr. Ford and what we were seeing with the new narrative, Teddy was going to be the person he was creating to stop the man in black. Right. However, we saw them working seemingly together tonight. Now, that's just to move towards the same end of finding Wyatt, though. Right. I still think he could possibly be put in his path to block him from that goal. We found out Teddy knows a lot more about the maze than we could have imagined. Again, I don't know if he's always known that, and that was part of a prior build, or if this is new info downloaded to him for the narrative. New narrative, yeah. Also, it could be that Arnold is the adversary for uh, Dr. Ford, because this is the first time Dr. Ford was able to find out what Arnold's doing. That's true, although we do see him speaking very fondly of Arnold tonight. For the first time, it was sort of a different tone when him and Bernard talk, and we'll get to that later. They're definitely muddying the waters a lot, But I think this could have multiple meanings eventually. We have two music notes, both by Radiohead. Fake Plastic Trees, which plays during the opening of the episode as Maeve awakens. And Motion Picture Soundtrack, which plays as Maeve watches the hosts being manufactured and walking through the floors. And I know we'll get to that, but that was my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, that was really good. What was great about that is um, in that song, he says... uh, think we're crazy or think I'm crazy in the actual Radiohead song. Yeah. And uh, when I was watching it with Carolina, she's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> like, that's what he says in this song. This is awesome. <laughs> I, I love that I love rendition. Radiohead. Yeah. And I love that rendition that they used, which was the violin rendition. Yeah. That I think they beautiful. made specifically for Westworld. I don't think so. I think they just, that was pretty close to the, how the original sounds. It listed it as an orchestral version. So maybe they had two versions of the song. Okay. I thought it really added to the scene and made it compelling, but not everyone felt that way. Vulture wrote that they thought it was a cheat. They wrote, rather than let the power of the scene emerge on its own, Westworld leans on a pre-existing work of art to do the heavy lifting for it. It's a cheat, a shortcut to resonance. Sorry, but they've been doing that, you know, all season putting in pop culture songs like that, you know, in, in scenes. I don't think it was, it's not like it was out of character. Right. But well, Vulture did say that basically they went on and on and on that, that Westworld has been doing this the whole season. But I, don't I have to disagree. There was one episode where I did feel that way with the two very big songs, including Paint It Black. And I thought it detracted and took you, you away that, from yeah. the scene for a minute because it was so recognizable and, it pulled you out. This, I felt differently. I didn't immediately recognize it as being this song because it was so subdued with the violin. And I think it added to the background, the tone of it, because even if you took that away, Tandy Newton's acting in this scene was incredible. It could have been dead silent and I would have felt the exact same emotional impact because she was amazing. So I thought all it did was bolster her performance. I agree. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. I didn't think it detracted from it, although I did recognize it right away. But I thought it made it more powerful. 
Speaking of things you recognize right away, we have to give you the couple of episode notes that surely everyone is aware of, but Yul Brenner, the gunslinger from the 1973 Westworld film, seemed to be present in the lower sublevel when Bernard went down there. Do you guys think this is an Easter egg, just like a fun little tip-off, or does this indicate a greater tie-back to the original film? I think it could be a a tie-back. I mean, I've purposely not watched any of that Me so too. that I can look at this <laughs> so you know I didn't want to I don't want to spoil anything for myself by watching it maybe after this season I'll take a take a look at it I think it might just be an easter egg it was very quick it's funny the the character in the background was in the same pose as Joel Brennan as well mm-hmm. um it was f- I mean it could just be an easter egg to the point of Bernard is there at the time to look into older models mm-hmm. to see what's going on. And it's because of these older models that Arnold or some remnants of Arnold is able to start uh, taking over. So it could just be a wink, wink or, you know. Yeah, well, and so none of us have seen the movie, but based on what little I know, the general premise, and everyone is aware of this, I'm not going to spoil anything, is that there is a malfunction and the robots start revolting turning against the people within the park. So we've also been told within this Westworld, there was a critical failure 30 years ago. And we had wondered, we first started discussing it, is this season going to tie back to that? Are we going to find out eventually that the canon from the movie was the critical failure that happened then? And we do get flashbacks of hosts killing people in the street. We Mm -hmm. saw that with Teddy tonight. So... I don't think it's so far-fetched yeah. that they could be loosely right. kind of paralleling. I think that would be cool if they did that. Also, the same scene with Bernard seems to show us that we are definitely far in the future. He goes to the old terminal and the old computer, which itself has seemingly very advanced technology. Yeah. And again, we saw the older logo for Westworld in the background. Now, we've been resisting kind of committing to any theories up until now. We've been talking about everything, saying if we like them or don't like them, but we haven't been saying it's been proved yet because it really hadn't. I think we came as close as we're going to get until the big reveal tonight. As we saw, this whole episode seemed to be the first one, at least since the very beginning, that took place in a fairly linear fashion. It seemed to all be happening right now. We didn't really get a ton of flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And it did not include any of the William Logan storyline. So for those of you who believe that's taking place in the past, they weren't here. We also saw the older logo that was present when they got off the train Mm -hmm. in their experience of Westworld. Yeah, in episode two. We also didn't get any Dolores. Yeah, and I think that makes it easier to show a confirmation because she is going to be present in both timelines. So her presence makes it more confusing. I see. You never know what's taking place when. True that. But the the same logo that everyone's been latching onto, this actually gives a concrete link because we do know that area. Those computers are older. That logo is older. And talking about questions that we still have regarding this show... Back to Vulture again. They gave questions following episode six. Who snatched Elsie? Why does Teddy know so much about the maze? Why hasn't Lee been fired? 
Who is Teresa smuggling data to and why? Maybe Dr. Ford isn't such a bad guy after all? And what's the final burial of salvation narrative all about? It's a lot of questions. I have questions just about how the world is outside. Oh, me too. Do they have AI running around? Is this the only place that they have this? It Mm -hmm. seems like the guests are enamored with them. So it looks, it seems like they're not used to them being out there. Wouldn't that be more lucrative? Out in the real world, the military. Yeah. A use for the, for these uh, robots than, than just inside a park. I agree with you. And that might be why the board is pushing for so many improvements to maybe get them out there. Maybe it's not proven that they're safe enough. Law-wise, maybe? Yeah, I want to address that. I know we'll get to Clatcher's comments later, but I'm going to pull in one of our listener feedback early. Uh, Gavin gave us a theory based on your suffering is cost-effective. He says one point from the latest episode five. This is before six came out. On a theory from why they have switched from mechanical hosts to a physiology that is human. It's possible it's because this ties into how the outside world has cured diseases, quote-unquote, and all but eliminated death. 3D printing and fabrication of human organs is a central part of how human medical treatment has evolved in this semi-distant time period. If it is common enough practice that average humans are having transplants from synthetic organs, there may be an economics of scale argument for why it is cost-effective. Further, at some point, another guest approaches Man in Black and talks about how his foundation saved his sister's life. It got me thinking perhaps the foundation is part of this approach of taking what the park does for hosts and applying it to humans in the outside world. It's possibly the ulterior motive of the board, and the park is being used for medical research. There you go. And I really like that theory. Like you said, we don't know if it's safe. In this theory, it's to prolong lifespan for people outside of the park, not just to have AI But either way, they need to test it first, and so that's kind of what's happening here at the park, and somehow the Man in Black's foundation is backing that financially or something to that effect. I keep getting caught up in the level of detail that they have to go into, like programming, just programming a bird, and then just programming dogs or just programming horses, and and then they have more complex beings like humans, but they they also have to program the complexities of animals. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm, it's like, how did they have enough time to to be able to program all of these things to have them act naturally? Yeah, well, and I think a lot of the programming has been in place for quite some time because based on what Ford tells us about the opening of the park, they were able to pass the Turing test after a year only. So the, the coding, we find out this episode, Arnold is a master coder or was. <laughs> seems to have been in place back then and maybe just improved upon a little bit over time, but Mm -hmm. it's more the body of the host that's changed. So that went from mechanical to physiological. Um, But I think they've had a long time to work on how realistic they seem. I was just thinking about how it it can tie back into video games also. Mm. That... Because we are working, like, you're working in video games now on how things are, like, react to certain situations and how to make them look real and lifelike and what they're going to do. So 
that's kind of a way of just the the next evolutionary step. Right. And with VR, they're going to get deeper and deep. We are in real world yeah. going to get deeper and deeper into that. And we were saying a couple episodes ago, this is like the natural next transition after we get bored of VR. So right. they would, they, you're right. Maybe they have all those behavioral ag- algorithms already set up. I'm glad you brought that back in because a lot of people were questioning now that we know there's VR and it takes place on this level, even the techs can use it that work within the park. So it seems to be something that's probably available to most of the population right now. Why are they clamoring so for this park experience? Wouldn't you think the VR would be good enough? They're spending thousands upon thousands of dollars to come here. But your explanation makes a lot of sense that you want to keep advancing to that next step. Yeah. The video game is no longer enough eventually. You can only make it so lifelike before you want something more. Mm -hmm. Now you have VR, which is a little more immersive than that. What is the next step after that? To make it into an actual real-life park Park. with real-life interactions and then just to keep making the host themselves more and more human. So I think you're seeing the progression of that in this show. I can go to a park and shoot Mickey Mouse and no repercussions. (laughs) And now Ford has tried to figure out how can you take that even further? That's what this new narrative is about. There's an article on geek.com about Westworld. Uh, that I just read, and uh, I always think, this is the other thing I was thinking about during it, is that in video games, you have people that don't follow the rules. In like an MMO, like WoW or whatever, you're going to have people that aren't going to follow the script, and they're just going to grief people. They're just going to ruin the experience of other people. Why wouldn't, why, like I could just shoot Teddy when he's about to go on a a mission with some other Mm-hmm. guest oh yeah you know? trolls so I, I haven't seen any trolling or anything like that in that but they talk about that in in this article and i thought it was really interesting they bring a lot of the video game uh stuff to it so. i think i think there we haven't seen anything like that because it's so expensive to get into that park right that, that's what you basically know what, what they say. oh really because some yeah. troll is not going to just come in and and uh and you're not a not well, logan uh, uh, is a little anonymous bit like that either. though you know, Logan yeah. doesn't really care whose plot line he's affecting. He's just shooting at will. And we've also seen it happen unintentionally with that couple who the husband wound up shooting Hector oh, yeah. mm-hmm. right before Lee's big oh, speech yeah. could take place. So there's a little bit of a nod to that, I think. And the other thing is, is that wouldn't there would be like online tutorials about different paths? Oh, yeah. Cheat codes. Show. I've heard that yeah. mentioned. Yeah. Well, isn't but, that uh, what the man in black? They keep changing the narrative, so. And isn't that what the man in black essentially is trying to find? Yeah. The ultimate. So, like a yeah. Westworld wiki, where you can read on. Like, <laughs> if you go, if you go, go straight in, get a drink at blah blah blah, then go down two miles, take a left, and there's this awesome fishing game that you can play. You well, know. <laughs> does it seem like perhaps there's some kind of cone of silence surrounding the park because? It'd be like we have a seen, yeah, we have seen guests trying to figure that out. And Logan says it took him a couple of times of coming there to realize that you don't want to get sidetracked by these stories. Right. He's onto something bigger, so he wants William to kind of go with the program mm-hmm. so that they don't get held up. It feels like the only way to get that, the man in black has been coming for 30 years, is just to keep coming and do it over and over again. Which can be pretty costly. So I wonder if that's it's not allowed to be put out mm-hmm. there. You might be right. 
what if a guest gets lost like somewhere though like in the park like what if they go off on a mission like when they had that uh the first uh like interaction with Wyatt's group mm-hmm. first of all I don't know what that roaring was that, that really freaked me out <laughs> yeah we I really talked about know what that, that roaring was. <laughs> yeah and also it seemed like that girl there was a guest with Teddy yes you yes. know so, but what if he dies? Where what happens to her? If she's far off on this thing, how does she get back? Who takes her back? Like, how does that end? I think the the hosts themselves are mainly responsible for that. We saw that when Teddy very strongly tried to redirect her. Okay, you go back to the town. We're gonna right. hold them up. I'll, I'll, you know, keep them off of you so you have some cover. And it seems that that's kind of goes along with their good Samaritan reflex uh, to keep them on track, keep them out of any real danger, keep them circulating within the storylines. If the techs or whoever's watching notices that people are getting off track, they will probably use the host to lead them back in. Well, we saw they micromanage little details like that when they had to stop that main narrative because kids were coming back. Yep. So they're like, have them get arrested and then we'll put, we'll have a host come in there in the morning, slip them a key. You know, so they... If she was lost out there because Teddy got strung up on the tree, they would they probably were like, we'll have a host come in and like break her out and they'll escape or something like that. Yeah, right. but you know what? We questioned last episode. It gets more and more real the further outside of Sweetwater you get. We saw that in Pariah, Logan seemed to be getting pretty badly beaten. At one point, he was getting yeah, choked out. I don't know how far that goes. I don't know if you get to certain points of the park where... Sure, you can't die, but you could get lost for a while. You mm-hmm. could get hurt pretty bad. I mean, and now that we've got malfunctioning, you might see a little more endangerment to the guests. Maybe in the contract. I wonder if they have some kind of tracking, yeah, like on them for oh, definitely. that, you know, that they're keeping track of all the guests so they know what's going on with them. Oh, for sure they are. Yes, um, yeah. pro- probably their heartbeats and stuff too. Yeah, keeping track of the hosts as well, we talked about. Why is it that certain hosts seem to be under the radar, not being noticed? Are they part of Arnold's gang? Is he building an army out there? We found out a little more information about that this episode, too, because they seemingly are invisible. With all this tech that they have going on there, because they were lower tech trackers, the Mm -hmm. new system wasn't even picking up on them. So I wonder just how many little glitches, things that are falling through the cracks... Things that are Clash. falling, <laughs> things that are falling through the cracks because you have Ford disrupting all of the narratives. You mm-hmm. have the push and pull between the board and QA and the techs. And Elsie says it at one point too. Teresa's been letting a lot of shit slip through, and her head's going to be the first to roll if they find out about it. Other than the experience uh, of it all, in video games, there's like a reward for doing each one of these. Like like a like doing a mission mm. or whatever, and I'm trying to figure out like what's what what is the the goal? What is the reward in this in this game? Basically, maybe a photo, <laughs> you know, like that family <laughs> took. Yeah, well, I think there's levels. Sure, yeah. If you're on like one of the more tame lines, it's probably a photo. It's probably a free dinner. It's another night stay. You probably work your way up. If you find gold, maybe you get a gold nugget well, to we, take home. Yeah. yeah, we did learn that, I forget if it was on the Delos website or somewhere we were researching, you come into the park mm-hmm. with a certain amount of money, 
money right. that you can have and utilize within Westworld, but you can also use that up and obtain more. Once it's gone, you have to figure out a way to get it within the park. <laughs> so you can play lawfully, you can go on a treasure hunt or a bounty hunt to get more, you can rob somebody. <sighs> yeah, that would be, but if you can't be hurt, there is no downside to just... But you can be hurt, you just can't be yeah. killed. killed. Yeah. Okay. It's how so if you get punched once and you're like, oh man, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> well, it looked like it hurt when William got hit hit with the bullet, but yeah, he got a bruise. Later on, it didn't really hurt anymore. Did anyone else in that timeline, uh, guest wise, if it is a different timeline, get shot? Yeah, Logan. Yeah. When they went into the, I guess it was a bar or something, mm-hmm. and he got shot like six times, but he didn't seem. Oh yeah. But maybe yeah, he, he seemed fine. Yeah. Well, we learned that there's simunitions, so it would be akin to something like a paintball where it would sting. You'd probably be caught by surprise more than anything at first and not used to it, but you might kind of build Get up a, to a tolerance to yeah. a certain extent over time. Do you think it's just like it's just well, it's an actual bullet, though, when it goes into the the hosts. It's not. That's what we found out again. But Maeve has bullets in her. Yes, but it's not that, from the way they described it, it's not that the bullet is actually what's causing the wound to happen. They are programming a response. They are programming that's, a wound to open and blood to come out. And That's what I thought, too, until, I, until Maeve reached into her stomach and pulled out the bullet. I was like, wait a minute, I that's thought they were point. simulating this whole thing. That's a good point. Well, I mean, they could... They could cause that. Maybe their skins to, are to softer. To have greater effect. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They could program any of that to happen. You never know. But I also think Maeve is different because we see this episode, Maeve is intentionally trying to get herself killed. There could be a lot more going on there. On to fun facts. Uh, happy birthday to Tandy Newton. Her birthday ah, was Sunday. How fitting. On our Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we're doing a poll for Westworld on who is your favorite character. Now, we were only allowed to do four on the list. Mm-hmm. So we have Bernard, Dr. Ford, the man in black, and Maeve. Hmm. Right now, Bernard is winning. If you want to add to that winning or you want to change who the favorite one might win, go to our Twitter and check it out. Those are good options. What are you guys? I'm going with, oh, I'm going with Maeve right now. I After think this last fa- episode? Yeah. yeah. I think it would yeah, change every episode. I still really enjoy Ford. <laughs> yeah, Ford's the, the shit. He is the shit. I'm going to stay with Bernard, but Maeve is a close second. I feel like Bernard is my least favorite. <laughs> He's got a lot of flaws and weaknesses, which yeah. is why I'm surprised there's so many people ready to call him host. But he's compelling, nonetheless. Yeah, I saw on Twitter someone talking about those weaknesses as a reason why he's the host, because he's selfless. He's the only selfless human that we've seen in this show. His uh, selfless well, meter could just be really high. He could be like a 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, though, we see the loss of his son affecting him so deeply that he's doing things with Dolores that I'm not sure are entirely just for her benefit. 
I think they are in part because of missing his son and wanting to connect with her and coming from a bit of a selfish place, mm. even though he could be endangering her. Yeah. We also have a link on our Twitter to a GQ.com video that shows our theory and a lot of people's theories in a nice organized visual package about how there's two different timelines. Mm -hmm. And basically, it does reiterate what we've said about timelines, but it shows it in a fashion so that you can piece it together. You can follow it, yeah. And they did have, for example, one thing that we didn't see because it was so fast is that when Dolores drops her milk mm -hmm. and it's picked up by William, it has a different font and even yeah. the name of it is different. Uh, it's the same name, but there's a space now in between them. Yeah. Uh, from the time that Teddy picks it up. So that could indicate a different time frame. There's a lot of cool things like that in that video. And if you guys missed it, last episode on our podcast, Christina and one of our listeners, Oren, takes on the Greek mythology and how it relates to Westworld and something you definitely don't want to miss. So if you missed it, check it out. We have follow-up to that too, which we will address in Clatcher's comments later. This is going to be a long episode. Just bear with us. It's a lot of great information. I promise it won't fizzle out. Fizzle. Uh, again on Twitter, uh, Killian Valkoff wrote, spoiler, I think Bernard Lowe is an anagram of Arnold. We don't know his last name, but it could be. People love their anagrams. I've could seen be that Weber. before. Yeah. Just a quick newsy news about Coffee Clatch Crew and our website. We now have a shiny new newsletter <laughs> sign-on form that you guys should check out. Go there. You sign up. We weren't, we're not going to spam you. Maybe once every two months you're going to get a newsletter. But we have some really fun plans ahead, and you don't want to miss out. And that's your best way to keep in touch. You can visit that website at coffeeclatchcrew.com. That's Clatch with a K. So without further ado, we're going to jump into our overview. We'll try to keep it moving because there were a lot of scenes and a lot to discuss. First, Maeve wakes up and walks to the Mariposa as she does every morning. We notice her awakening is a lot like Dolores. This is where the player piano is playing in the background. She chats with Clementine at the bar and notices a group of newcomers where she escorts one upstairs, deliberately taunting him until he chokes her to death. She opens her eyes on Felix's operating table and says, now then, where were we? Okay, so I don't like to pat myself on the back much, but I got to on this one. are going to do it one. anyway. <laughs> Last episode, I did state that I believe that Maeve was killing herself on purpose yes. to get back to Felix and that she was going to utilize her skills to manipulate to get Felix and whoever she needs on her side and they were going to start working together in the background. So we were right on target with that. Yeah, and we've also been saying for a long time now that she seems to be more awake. I said even than Dolores earlier on. I was connecting with her more. There's a lot of that happening in this episode, her showing her smarts, things that are supposedly just programmed into her, and yet she is able to read humans. I can't wait to talk about that when we get there <laughs> later. So well. Yeah, I was definitely surprised with Maeve. I really thought from just the first episode that it was going to be Dolores. It really seemed like we were setting up for Dolores. I even thought that Dolores already was awake and was, had been faking the whole time, which she kind of alluded to in the last episode. That she was hiding things, but uh, not at the level I thought she was. Oh, I wish you were here to talk about this in previous episodes. I would have loved fighting with you because I was <laughs> very much of the mind that a lot of what was happening with her was just programming. That she seemed to be coming awake, mm. but it was 
It was scripted. She was being led by somebody. Right. Ryan, we're going to forgive you because you haven't been a part of this, but the correct vernacular is woke. Oops. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> woke. In the next scene, Elsie and Bernard examine the strays transmitter and theorize who could be sabotaging the park. They're not going crazy. They're being used for industrial espionage, Elsie says. It was done by someone down here, and she knows it wasn't Bernard. If you were going to sell us out, you would have done it years ago, she says to him. I thought that was an interesting comment for her to make, to even question Bernard and point the finger at him. Mm -hmm. She's got balls. We know that she was hired because she has kahunas. So she, she can talk to him like that. It's good. You would want someone like that's going to be looking into this to question everyone, even though this isn't really her job, though. She should be more on Q&A. For, for all the work she's doing. It's True. not, and I've been saying for a while, she's going to get herself in trouble because she's putting her nose in too far. She's going to start pissing people off, and I think we saw that happen at the end at of the this end. episode. Yeah. But here, she's talking about the fact that they need the exact time that this happened, and the GEO patch was wiped on the woodcutter. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to find another way of getting that, and she's wondering what information is being transmitted. I'm still wondering that myself following this episode. Well, we find out later how many of them are going rogue right now, so to speak. So actually, in the follow-up to this, they figure out the old hosts use the legacy geo-positioning system, which means the info is still there, but the new system can't read it. This is when Bernard goes to the basement to access it through the older system and discovers a number of hosts in the park. There are five additional anomalies detected in Sector 17, which is further south. This is also where we get a good look at what seems like another sublevel, B82. There's drawings on the wall. This doesn't seem like the same <coughs> thing. It's restricted personnel only. And this is where we see Yule Brunner hanging out in the background. Just chilling. So there, in this basement is a computer, one of the only computers that can access the old algorithm to find these guys and it's functional there's no right. windows update that's going to take 20 minutes because yeah. it's so far behind and we've been wondering why do they keep all of these i mean he's in sub level b82 this is a fuck ton of sub levels that we have here for seemingly no reason <coughs> we saw what looked like an old lobby down there that they had never either done away with or repurposed so they could actually use these floors the way they have the host and cold storage seems really ineffective like just waiting yeah. for disasters to happen so there must be a storyline that yeah. we're going to find out they, as to why these exist did they plan this out like all right well let's go down 100 levels okay we'll start on level 100 to make our commute down really really long and then we'll just work our way up for each new version until we get up to the top level with it. Why do they keep going down? Or is it maybe, are they like, just keep blasting it down and then just move the whole level, another level down? Why I don't understand how that structure can, can occur. Well, it seems like what we had hypothesized in the beginning, if this whole dual timeline thing is correct, they had initially gone in and built as far down as they could go into this canyon so that they would be unseen. Seems like they had a lobby there. They had floors, much the way they have upstairs right now in mm -hmm. Mesa Gold, different levels for each area of operations. And that's where we potentially see William and Logan when they enter. Then a critical failure happened 30 years ago. They were hemorrhaging money. Things went real bad. Maybe they were going to be shut down. Maybe things started to be let go the cold storage started leaking anyhow when they had to start back up maybe they just built 
right back it. on top of it. I don't think they built up. I think, you know, they always had that huge structure. Just something, a company that's so into detail, you would think that they'd be into detail about their storage and all that as well. Yeah, we said that. It's very weird what's going on down there and that they can't even fix the cooling system that's leaking everywhere. Yeah. There's There's got to be a reason. And how is Bernard getting internet down there? <laughs> that's what I want to know. Well, there have to still be thi- certain things functioning. If they're yeah. keeping hosts down there, it, it makes sense. You know, this is a lot newer tech, even in the old area, than oh, what course. we have right now. Mm-hmm. But, but you're p- right about the update. I can't believe that those systems can talk to each other like he was projecting from one system to the other with uh, without any without any problem. What's also interesting is the old can recognize the new, but the new couldn't recognize the, the old. old, which is actually fitting because you see a lot of this going on with new technology, and I don't want to get on a tangent True. with that, but when you get all these updates and more things start going wrong, you're like, geez, I wish I just had the older version when things still <laughs> yeah. function properly uh, because it will only speak to itself. It starts mm-hmm. to not be able to recognize older versions. And I think that whoever has been doing this understood that quite well and built these things on purpose so that they would not know what's happening because the new system doesn't even pick up on it until Bernard asks it to look and we find five anomalies. Non-registered hosts. I was really excited during this scene. I was like, oh shit. <gasps> so we know there was five in- including or not counting the woodcutter. Uh. Five not counting the woodcutter. That's right. When Bernard did his search, he found five additional anomalies. Right. Oh, okay. So there but there are only four in the house. The dog probably counts. Yeah. It might, yeah. Or perhaps that's a clue and there's another one that we don't know about. True. Uh, when he ran this, was Dr. Ford in the house with them? Oh. <laughs> Is Dr. Ford the fifth anomaly? Oh, I wonder. He's an anomaly, though. Does that mean he's a host? That's what I'm wondering. Because yeah. we had questioned that for a while. Was he the original? I would think that they would be able to track Ford inside the, to no, to recognize him. I, I think Ford has control over a heck of a lot, and he could be a host without people knowing it. I think he's the only one, actually, that could be a host. Maybe he could spoof it, make himself look like an anomaly so that they wouldn't know where he is. Mm. No. Good point. Well, speaking of him, in the next scene, Dr. Ford and his team of surveyors freeze the hosts in Las Mudas to prepare for the new narrative. Ford doesn't want to destroy the whole town in order to extend the canyon. We get a quick view of the maze map on top of the wooden table that they're playing the game on. Just reiterating, we're seeing that everywhere now. And then Ford returns to his office where... He looks at a model of the new site. We see it's a town with a church in the middle and Native American figures approaching it. Then he goes over to his desk where he flips through an old notebook that he takes from a locked cabinet and lands on a sketch of the maze. Okay, so two things. One, we know that Las Mudas has a special place in his heart because he was willing to just, for this new narrative, just tear down whatever. Mm -hmm. But this one, he's like, we can end it just short of this. Yep. So that's something to note. Now, with the notebook, we paused it, and a good 15 minutes were spent on that. And we took some pictures. They're not the nicest pictures, but we're going to put them on our Twitter. We checked out the notebook, and I think this is very important. Really good look at the maze with the person in the middle. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, and I don't think this means anything, but it's something to note, that the maze resembles a, a horseshoe. So yes. not the one you play with, but like a real horseshoe. Yes, it did. And then note the triangle at the top, because we see that triangle a few more times, which we will touch upon. Yeah, it's a horseshoe shape coming up to an upside-down triangle at the very top. And two, a drawing of what looks like a tracker in the arm. Yeah, again, really hard to tell. I think they purposely move very quickly through the scene. Yes. And the minute he opens it all the way up and it starts to clarify, he, he moves his, his hand. hand over yeah. it. And written next to it was the numbers 13, the letter A, number 2, and number 1, and then some equations. Also written very small on the opposite side of the maze sketch, it says, something to wake. We couldn't make out what that first word was. So it was blank to wake, and then lines of code under it. Yeah, it looked like a lot of shorthand. There was very few words on the entire page, and what was there seemed to be abbreviation, and the rest of it seemed to be all code. So this looked like Arnold's notebook for mm -hmm. how he was developing coding for all of this. I'm wondering if that was a tracker, what was going on there. It could have just been the joint the of an arm yeah. and how he was trying to refigure it. But it's very interesting how intently... You get the feeling that he pulls this book out a lot. He's keeping it locked away where Making only he notes. can see it. Yep. There was also a page before that that looked like a whole Dolores page with quite a few yeah. sketches of her at the ranch. And again, something to, to wake. We've been hypothesizing that maybe when you get to the center, you end up, you, you become Ryan woke. And maybe this is the code that makes them woke. Woke in your consciousness. <laughs> and then, Chris, I was thinking about it later on in that day. I didn't tell you about this. So you might think I'm wrong in this. But looking closer at the notebook, the shapes that had dotted graphs and or algorithms mm -hmm. uh, around everything else yeah, kind of resembled the shape that the woodcutter carved that Elsie found. Ah, that she mistook for Orion. Yeah, it looked like the algorithms, mm. just without the numbers, but it had the dots and the That's lines. Interesting. So that might be what he was trying, what he was writing. So again, mm. we'll have a picture of these on our Facebook account. I was wondering initially if that was even just Ford's notebook or if it was maybe Arnold's notebook, but we think it's Arnold's. If it has, yeah. You think it's Arnold? Yeah. Well, because it looks like it goes back to begin the beginning of the park. If Dolores is the oldest host and he was envisioning how she would be and what her storyline would be, uh, it had to be created a long time ago. Not to say that Ford couldn't do that, but also knowing that Arnold is the master coder, it just feels like yeah. it belonged to him. But if you're saying that these coordinate things, the things uh, related to tracking are there, then I would think that it's something of Ford and but Teresa we find out later is the one I think those are two separate storylines that they're uh, on purpose trying to make us think is one yes we yeah and we were starting to think I don't know how true or how right we are but we're starting to think that Dr. Ford his new narrative is actually putting into action what Arnold wanted, wanted to, do. to do. That he's really not as against him as he seems and that this was a show so that they wouldn't catch on to him. All of that harshness felt very weird to me in episodes two and three mm -hmm. where we went from feeling like Ford was a creative mind that wanted to do something special and different in this park and maybe was encouraging host consciousness to him coming in on this super hard line seeming like very evil 
cold person who was treating them as robots and didn't want to have anything to do with that. It felt false. And so I do still believe this is a front he was putting on. And even if he has concerns, Mm -hmm. he also has curiosity. I don't think you stay tied to something and get so excited about it and emotionally invested. His new narrative, he's going out in the park, he's envisioning things Mm -hmm. like an artist would. I don't think that comes with it if you don't have a passion anymore for seeing this advance. Agreed. And I'm not too sure about what I was just saying uh, with Dr. Ford pushing forward what Arnold was doing. Uh, I I still like it, but the whole scene with... Uh, Dr. Ford's child mm-hmm. of himself and him freaking out about Arnold talking to him mm-hmm. may, may threw me off of that a little bit, but I don't know. Somebody else. Well, yeah, we had wondered that too. If Arnold is still hanging around in some capacity, you know, that could be through Ford or not, but he could still be pushing this agenda forward, mm-hmm. but Arnold always wanted it to go further than Ford. True. So, you know, there's a limit for him, whereas whoever else is in on this might want to go farther, and he doesn't like that. You're right, because we did start to see these anomalies happen in the first episode when Bernard was talking about these new reveries Mm -hmm. that Dr. Ford just put in, which could have been Dr. Ford starting to implement Arnold's thing. In a controlled way. And now they started waking up, which means there might have been some something underlining that Dr. Ford doesn't know that Arnold had in that he woke up. Right. So he's still following it, but it's yeah, you're right. I dig it. And one thing we haven't talked about and then we'll we'll keep moving along here is the fact that it was mentioned the maze could be on purpose, a sort of trap or catch all for hosts that do start to awaken. And they cotton on to this idea of a maze. They go in search of it, being told they can be free. And if they're able to find their way to the middle, it means they achieved consciousness. And it's a trap so that once they get there, they get decommissioned or wiped or whatever. It's your way of making sure it doesn't get out of control because it's put into place. I like that. Safety guard. But it seems like the man in black is one of the biggest proponents for... The maze. It seems like none of the hosts are real. Well, other than Dolores seems to be the only one going towards the maze. I think you're going to see more and more of them starting to go there soon. The maze is popping up everywhere now. Speaking of consciousness, I looked up a couple of definitions so we can think about this as we move forward. And this is going to be particularly interesting once we start to get to Maeve. They describe it as a state or quality of awareness sentience, subjectivity, the ability to experience or to feel, having a sense of selfhood and executive control of the mind. To be conscious is only necessary to be aware of the external world. So executive control system, which is very similar to how Felix describes Maeve's processing brain later, Mm -hmm. and conscious of the external world. And so we see some of that going on with Dolores starting to pick up on there are things other than the loop. So let's just track that as we move along. Back to the overview. As Teddy and the man in black continue to search for the maze, Teddy looks at the scalp the man in black is carrying. The maze itself is the sum of a man's life. Choices he makes, dreams he hangs on to. And there at the center, there's a legendary man who's been killed over and over again countless times. Always clawed his way back to life. The man returned for the last time and vanquished all his oppressors in a tireless fury. 
build a house. Around that house, he built a maze so complicated only he could navigate through it. I reckon he'd seen enough of fighting. When the man asks if it looks like anything to him, Teddy recounts the myth on which it is based. Not much to say. The maze is an old native myth, the sum of a man's life, the choices he makes, the things he hangs on to, and at the center is a legendary man who's been killed countless times, always claws his way back to life. The man returned for a last time and vanquished all his oppressors in tireless fury. Then he built a house and a maze around it, so complicated only he could navigate his way through. I reckon he'd seen enough of fighting. Now, I was going holy shit at this moment because it feels like Teddy just info-dumped all of the answers to everything we've been looking That's for. Right. I mean, first of all, there's a legendary man at the center, so this seems to be the figure we've been seeing inside of the maze drawing. That man has been killed countless times and always comes back to life. Feels a lot like Teddy, Teddy. no? It does, because, and they did harp on that. Dr. Ford talked about it, how many times he's died. Mm -hmm. uh, he even said countless. He said thousands at least, or a thousand at least. Comes back to vanquish all his oppressors in a tireless fury. Well, that's the storyline we see him on now, chasing down Wyatt. And with that Gatling gun, destroying half the, I'm jumping ahead, but destroying all those hosts. It yeah. might be him. It might and be. So then he builds a house in a maze around it, so complicated only he could navigate his way through. So is this something they've just downloaded into him for the new narrative? And the maze right. isn't even, in fact, built yet. They're just starting <laughs> oh, to that's put what he's this building? idea into their mind oh, so shit. that the new narrative will involve him eventually going out there and building it. We, we were wondering what Dr. Ford is building right now. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's it. But it's not really far off the park. If the edge of it is right, uh, it's going to hit Las Mudas. I mean, it's not really hidden. Well, it's <laughs> not about being hidden. It says this man built the house with the maze around it, but it was so complicated that only he knew how to get through it. Okay. So even if it's right there, you have to know what you're doing in a sense. I still think it's like once the host reached full consciousness through the maze and that's their protection from the other hosts or maybe they get move on to something. I mean, I, I go, I went down these rabbit holes on my own that like maybe Bernard is the original one through the maze. And that's why he's in the position he's in, if mm -hmm. he's a host or not. Um, and then I went into really existential stuff like Descartes and <laughs> uh, as a philosopher and proving that he can, you know, he went to prove that God could exist but he could barely prove, he could only prove that he exists, you yeah. know, with I think, therefore I am. He couldn't even prove that other people exist in, in his society because everything could be an illusion inside his head. Yeah, right? and we talked about that, too, in the allegory in the cave. And, you know, I think it could all tie in. I think it could be an actual maze, and I think it could also be about consciousness. I think how that plays out depends upon who's really behind it and what the motives are, and we just don't know that yet. Well, this scene closes with, on the way to find Wyatt, the man in black and Teddy pass travelers who warn them of a road closing because of trouble and pariah. Willing to do anything to find Dolores, Teddy suggests an alternate, more treacherous route to the border. But it looked like in that, it, in that scene, it looked like they were in the cemetery that mm -hmm. William and Logan and Dolores were in. 
previously. It did look similar, yes. So it looked like they were going towards the same town that they went to, but then they bypassed that and went. To find this tunnel, we'll see them out in a later scene, yeah. I'm human, like the guests. How do you know? Because I know. I was born. You were made. We are the same these days, for the most part. One big difference, though. The processing power in here is way beyond what we have. It's got one drawback, though. What's that? You're under our control. Well, their control. They can change you however they like. Meanwhile, Felix explains to Maeve none of her choices are her own. They are all programmed. When Maeve questions how he knows he's human, the tech responds, I was born, you were made. She then touches his hand and comments they feel the same, to which he says, for the most part, we are the same these days. With one big difference, the processing power in her head is much stronger, but with one big drawback. She's under their control. They can change her however they like, make her forget. He says, I guess not you, though. I don't understand how you're remembering and awakening. It's then that Maeve observes her dialogue tree on the tablet, watching it predict her words, and tries to say something, but it brings up an improvisation error, and she shuts down. How does he know he was born? I was thinking that, too. Maeve didn't know that she ran a whorehouse until, you know, thought she'd been running a whorehouse for 10 years. That's a good point. How does he know he's been born? And we heard that weird comment from Sylvester last time. Shouldn't he have been weeded out in the embryo? Yeah. I don't know what to make of Felix yet. We don't know enough about him. But I do know enough to see that during this scene is when we start to see the manipulation really start to come in. She's using her her tricks. Yes. Touch, closeness, uh, the way she speaks. Uh, I think Felix is not only intrigued, which he showed with, but you're different, but also he's being manipulated and is kind of under the control of her. The question is, is this of her own free will and skill to actually read people? Or is this because of the attribute system that we see later that she's a madam, so she's been programmed to be good at certain things, and one of them is reading people? Well, I think it is because of the attribute system, but we do know that someone's been messing with it and has upped some things. Right. So that's why she's better at it right now. Yeah, and we'll get to that later because they've also been messing with some negative things as well. But here we get a look at their system again. We pause this. Well, we pause this um, on his tablet when he's looking down at it, and yeah, it's, it describes their knowledge base. So first it says inference engine. That leads to processes, which include organization, auditory systems, fuzzy logic, algorithms, and neural net. And then that leads to the dialogue tree. That's right. So that's the forward chaining processes. Yes. So we see how it's broken down. And we know with computers, things that are very complex, when you see the inner working of, workings of it, it doesn't necessarily make it less complex, but we can actually digest it a little better because mm. you see the web, the steps. Every mm-hmm. computer has steps and if-else statements, basically, 
to sim- to overly simplify it. Yeah, and what's amazing is it is simple but enormous. There's so much going on here. She has one word trips off a cue, and that leads her to hundreds of choices. Yes. Once she picks that word, it leads to a hundred more choices. Eventually, it winds up at a sentence that she has some ability to improv within. But what's really cool is she tries to, as she's looking at that, go outside of that. She's trying so hard to prove it is not this dialogue tree making me say what I am right now. And the moment she pushes that, she glitches out and gets shut down. Yeah. Well, I think it also kind of was a reality check to me that they are ones and zeros as well. Yeah, and to what extent, you know, we had wondered that all along, what extent of what we're seeing with all of them, even hosts like Dolores and me that seem to be coming so alive, to what extent is that program, to what extent is this narrative put into them? And once you get to this point, right, where they have physiological makeup to their bodies, they have a 20-point attribute system working within their brains with incredibly complex processing power. They have older builds of different lives, and now they can access memories of that. What is it that's separating them from being human? Right. Yeah, I don't think us as humans will be able to deal with that. We're going to have... One of the presidential debates, and that's just the hot ticket right now. That's why mm-hmm. I'm bringing it up. Voting is actually happening as we speak. Uh, one of them in the future is going to be us fighting over AI rights because the empathy in us as humans is going to fight us with this tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that YouTube video? It's like a year or two years old now of um, this robotics that, we've made it doesn't even look like a human doesn't look like anything but this robot with legs that's able to stay balanced so mm-hmm. the scientist is kicking it and it it's yeah, able to pushy. find its balance yeah i kind of for a second i was like oh i feel bad for that thing and that doesn't even look like a human it doesn't talk it doesn't yeah and it, to of feel. course you would feel that way it's a natural response but that feels very much like what ford is doing with them and what we're seeing happen that to a certain extent, they're programming them, but then they have to walk them around the levels and teach them how to do things on the floor. And then they get put into the park and they have to experience the narratives. And it is almost like they're evolving. And based on what Ford has told us, he's even building in mistakes because that's a part of evolution. And over time, they're gradually becoming closer to uh, something that's hard to distinguish. And again, it goes back to what I said a few episodes ago about what, uh, and I won't reiterate it, but what Joe Rogan says, that we are just, we're made to bring in the robotics. Like Mm -hmm. That's part of our next uh, evolution, is we are evolving to become uh, AIs, essentially. Who's to say that's not what we are? I mean, we're just organically made like robots Mm -hmm. with DNA code sequences instead of ones and zeros that we can read, we just don't have the right computer to read our sequencing, you know? Like if God exists, he's supposed to be all-knowing and all-powerful, and he can see the future, right? So if he can see the future, that means that he can read, like, the steps, the things that we're going to say next, like what Maeve is trying to figure out the next word she's going to say and is trying to make sure that that's not it, and it makes her freak out a little i could see the same 
thing going Happened with us, us because what's related to how she is going to the next word she's going to say are all the attributes in her category mm-hmm. are going to shape the way that she's going to say something, which is the same thing that people have all the attributes that you have and your knowledge is going to shape the way that you're going to structure your sentences or think yeah. of the next word. You're gonna we, say. Would, we would call that destiny. Wouldn't we? Yes. And there's a couple of things that still separate it for me. And we'll talk about this more later on in the podcast. We're going to go a bit into psychological theories, how that relates to personality traits and more about those attribute things. But I've been looking at a couple of different areas that we brought up in the first episode. What makes a human human? What constitutes consciousness? A lot of that is really not all that different now that we're finding this out. There physiological makeup the physicality of the fact that they can get infections they have blood all of that is is very similar they have emotions but they aren't spontaneous and in fact they can shut them down very easily so there's an emotional disconnect that I think is making it hard for me to connect with a lot of the hosts so that's something right there The cognitive processing is very similar to our own brains, except that our brains seemingly fire at random, whereas those are built on a predictable code, but still very similar. The big question, and I'm not sure if podcasts are afraid to go into this. I've heard some of them talk about it. If you believe in anything like a soul or a spirit, And this Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be religious, but it's something that a lot of us feel is a component to what makes us human. That would be the thing that I guess is missing. It depends. Yeah, I would say that. Unless, hmm. but we don't even know if we have a soul or a spirit. We don't. And we don't know if, how that happens. Are are you born with it? You know, like, did it come to be at some point in their creation that they got one? I mean, You know, is there a creator and then how does that work? So it's just, it's a tough question. I think that's why <laughs> maybe it's avoided. Is it just something that we created because we can't accept the fact that we're going to die? Oh, certainly could be. And we will be. no longer exist. Certainly yeah, could be, but we have to think about that, right, as a potential component yeah. here. Yes. I just don't know. I don't have an answer for that. No, of course not. The last thing to mention there is on that tablet where we see the picture of Maeve and there's all of that knowledge base information, her picture is inside of a circle and at the top of that is the same upside down triangle like we see on the maze image. So just a little oh, wow. potential Easter yeah. egg. In the next scene, Teresa calls Bernard into her office and tells him Ford knows about their relationship. It is a conflict given how their sectors are meant to keep each other in check. She also thinks Bernard can't be impartial, especially about Ford, whose leadership has been questionable lately. So she's breaking it off, and she rudely kicks him out. Real quick. Sorry, I should have brought this up. It just hit my head. The triangle. Mm-hmm. What's significant about that is Dr. Ford spoke about the triangle, which you will speak about again. Yes. Yeah, it's a pyramid, and he didn't really say it, but leading towards self-actualization. He, he said it's... It's like that, but it's something different. The top of the triangle is missing something. Right. But that could be what the indicator, excuse me, on the maze That you've reached it? Is that triangle. Ah, and we think we might have an idea about what that could be. We'll dive into that in the psychology section. There's not a lot to say about this scene. We kind of saw it coming with Teresa. I think it's odd that 
we didn't like her right off the bat, and she is turning out to be seemingly such a villain. Mm -hmm. So yet again, I hope they muddy those waters a little more later. Yeah. There was also a lot of dark red and black colors in this scene, just added to the mood. Back over to Felix, who's frantically pressing buttons on the tablet trying to wake Maeve back up. As he paces, she comes to and slyly convinces him to let her see more of the facility. This is the conning you said where she's touching his hand. Mm -hmm. She's using her ability to read people. And this is the absolutely amazing scene of the entire episode. He's nervously accompanying her through the halls. He shows her how the hosts are brought to life, from manufacturing to behavior and everywhere in between. First, they go through the lab. She sees men being made in that milk-like substance. A lot of PBDP shots. Yeah. <laughs> There's blood being pumped into them, which is really crazy because we actually see coloring come into their bodies. Oh, that was so cool. Is that what they were pumping in? It was blood? Yeah. yeah. And then the heart started beating and then the color starts coming. That was so artsy. I loved it. I love that they're world building and they're educating you, but at the same time, it's plot centric because she is learning all of this for the first time and you're seeing the emotion in her eyes go from straight disbelief mm -hmm. to once she starts to realize this is happening, how could it be? And so many things it's flying around. Yeah. And her acting is amazing because she, uh, let's say, you have to do this scene. Mm -hmm. and I'm the director. I'm like, all right, so you have to act like you're a machine because you're not trying to get caught. So you have to walk rigid and not move too much. But we also need you to express what you're feeling yeah. seeing all these happen. Can you do that? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not easy. Well, and people were wondering how they didn't get caught. But she is playing along. It could appear as though the way they are walking through the hosts, mm -hmm. you know, through their paces in each level, that he's just doing the same. Testing, yeah. But also, nobody is seemingly programming her right now because Felix has control of her. So there are no scripted responses happening. It seems like she's having genuine emotion that she has never experienced before in coming to this realization that she was created. Also, this scene is the first time we are getting a tour of that nature yes. as well. So we're seeing it for the first time as well. We saw the part separately, but it's really putting more of a linear progression yes. through how these hosts are created. They then go up the escalators. This is where the violin music is playing. We see the buffalo being walked around, hosts coming to life, being trained. And finally, up the escalator to design, where a man is sculpting faces. I'd like to think that's where we would be. Yeah, that was incredible. And they end up with Felix trying to usher Maeve onto the elevator, but she's distracted by the park promotional video, where she sees glimpses of her previous build and her daughter. She asks, how did you have my dreams? Hmm. Felix tells her these are actually memories of a previous build that were erased. She's only been the madam for the past year. Another timeline piece of information. And they go back down. So we'll conclude in a second, but any other thoughts on this experience? It was really powerful. I just felt like Felix was so gullible. <laughs> like, to, to be coerced into doing this. I mean, I guess it's part of his curiosity. Yes. Which also feeds that we see with him with the 
expert and him trying to figure this out, him, the programming and why this is happening. And he yeah. wants to see what she's going to do next. He's just, you know, intrigued by, by what's going on with her. Yeah, I, I think they set that up perfectly with those scenes of the bird. So it does make sense now. And you almost have to wonder how this doesn't happen more often. I mean, Elsie herself gets caught up in curiosity in a moment mm-hmm. in an episode past where she kisses the host. And no, I don't think that was anything truly sexual. I think mm-hmm. it was her being curious. What is this like? How does it work? Mm-hmm. Most humans that are working there, you would think, would have those kinds of questions yeah. and want to know more. I really felt for her in this scene. Yeah. And I mean, this was a beautiful scene. It was the culmination of what we've experienced so far in this show. On Twitter, there was this funny picture that someone had of Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story mm-hmm. when he sees a picture of all the buzzes oh, in the store. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. If you think about it, wow. he realizes he's a toy. That's true. That's pretty amazing. And the entire time with the violins playing and this surreal nature, you almost do feel like you're in a dream. And then you get this rude awakening because they cut to Sylvester discovering the two of them. And he resolves to turn Felix in, but is stopped by Maeve, who threatens him with a scalpel. She says, everyone has something they want. I can help you or gut you, because we're not so different, are we? Again, well acted. I was actually rooting for her. There's something about Sylvester I don't like. I don't like him. He's kind of a dick. We're meant to not like him. I mean... He himself is talking about going off into the VR tank with the redhead, right? Last episode. He can't be this straight-edge guy who's never done anything wrong before. This is like part of the persona that it makes him feel bigger to put down poor Felix. It seems like that's the relationship they have. But you can't tell me he has this sudden attack of conscience where he's got to turn Felix in because it's the wrong thing to do. He shouldn't be messing around. I think it would have been better and would have played better with the viewers if his motivations had been self-preservation. Like, it's going to get me in trouble by association. You better stop messing around because I'm not going to have this come down on me. But I think that's what it was. Later on, definitely he brings that up. Because we find out what his motivations are in this, or Maeve finds out or figures out what his motivations are with this. Mm -hmm. That he's, like, pimping out robots (laughs) to, you know, everyone. Yeah, he's a dick. This was the only (laughs) scene where I was having trouble believing because they're in a glass room, surrounded by glass rooms. Yeah. How is no one seeing a host grabbing one of their workers well how did nobody notice we asked last time with all the recordings and cameras that oh the bird the bird the fact that when she was being operated on she got up and ran out of the room off the table there's been a lot falling through the cracks like we said before so either somebody is purposely turning a blind eye or things aren't functioning as smoothly as they're supposed to in westworld because of all the changes happening on a higher level Right, maybe all the other guys are experiencing these kind of anomalies or whatever you want to call it, these kind of mistakes, and they're, everyone in that department is just trying to keep their mouth shut so they don't all get in trouble. Yeah, because Felix is never even supposed to notice something like this. He's not supposed to have a behavior tablet. He's True. not supposed to be messing around with her, you know. 
Next, Teresa gets a phone call from someone, we don't know who, and after they speak, she responds, she will do what she can. It's He's speaking in... Mandarin? Yeah, Is something it? like that, or Japanese or, or Mandarin. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what he says, but it seems like this is the person she's been colluding with, maybe smuggling the data to. We move over quickly to find Lee, who is supposed to be on sick leave, relaxing at the pool by the Mesa Bar. It's a nice pool. This seems to be the nicest area in the entire complex. And Teresa instructs him to plug Ford's narrative holes. He's taken away about 50 hosts. It's just disrupting everything. The Sizemore is disgruntled. He refuses, threatens to quit until Teresa tells him the board will be looking for Ford's replacement soon if he fails, and they won't look here. So this is not going to help him to react this way. If he wants to better his cause, he's got to play along. I'm just going to skip right to his later scenes because it makes sense to talk about them all here. He's still at the bar. He starts flirting with an attractive supposed repeat guest Mm -hmm. and inflating his own role and sense of importance there. He complains about the corporate culture of Delos and mentions that hosts can go off script. I guess because he's drunk, he's saying way more than he should be. Of course. He even says it's a vanity project for a megalomaniac who started this, and he doesn't know why the suit's put up with it. This is where the bartender cuts him off. The message from Teresa... I laughed so hard here. Tortured artist only works for artists. Yeah. <laughs> Sober up and get back to work. I mean, Sizemore is the kind of character we love to look down on. Yeah. Right? And it just gets worse. In the last scene with him, he's completely drunk now as well as disgruntled. He goes inside and pees all over the park map. <sighs> Teresa then interrupts him to introduce him to the woman he met at the bar, Charlotte Hale, Executive Director of the Delos Board. Hello. Talk about putting your foot in your mouth. So we know that the board, I was wondering when the board would come back into play because the writers really wanted us to know that there was a board the first episode. Mm -hmm. And then we didn't hear about them. I think now we're going to start seeing this become more of an issue. They've slowly been dropping a few things here and there. And I think we had to put a face to it. To start to make sense of the way things work, that's a question we needed at least partially answered. So it's nice to get to meet her. I think she'll have more of a role. It was a great casual introduction by having Lee being so ridiculous here. (laughs) You do really have to wonder how he's not getting fired between hitting on her, being drunk, spilling secrets that he's not supposed to be talking about, pissing all over their map. I mean, how is he keeping his job? Is it hard to get a Lee? Probably. You know? I think the, the training, just to th- the arduous mm-hmm. task of getting someone good enough and then training them and getting them into the flow, I, I think yeah. at this point it's not worth it. And just he, interweaving the narratives all together and creating a storyline out of that where everyone fits in it is going to be exactly. a daunting test. For as much as we look down on him in comparison to Ford, in reality he probably is a decent... Oh, yeah. Right. You know, decent at what he does. This is a lot to manage. Of course. Just one fun fact. We had brought up in the very beginning that it was weird that you could kind of hear an accent from Teresa, but the actress that plays Teresa Mm -hmm. 
but that it seemed she was trying to cover it a little bit. And why did they not just let her speak that way? So <laughs> he actually calls her a teetotaling Danish bitch. There was no need to bring up the fact that she was Danish. I think mm-hmm. that they put that in there on purpose, maybe, to let us know. She did get better at it, though. It wasn't as... Yeah, noticeable. Yeah. But I, I think that the show uh, maybe often gets a little bit meta with us to, mm-hmm. to answer some of the questions. Now back to Teddy and the man in black who are trying to cross the border disguised as Union soldiers to get to the tunnel that leads to the old territories. We had wondered often about the old territories and what we could find there. Just as a brief sidebar, we got our Discover Westworld update from Aiden. And when you pull up the map, normally we get new locations that you can read about. This time there was nothing. But in the area of the old territories, and you know, this is kind of vast. So you have Pariah and then Go Station below that, old territories at the bottom. To the left, very close to the sea, is a big area that says currently under construction, and you can't read anything about it. We know what that is. But anyhow, Teddy is recognized here. The soldiers remember him and Wyatt ambushing them at Escalante. They take down both Teddy and the man in black, and when they try to brand him with the maze, Teddy fights back. He guns down all the soldiers with a machine gun, and the man in black tries to help him hold them off. It felt good to see Teddy kick some ass. Yeah. And like we said earlier in this podcast, uh, it kind of resembles the storyline about the maze. Yes. You know, uh, what, did he, what did he say? Like, just full. Yeah, he's seen his share of fighting. He's ready for it to be done. But before he did, he vanquished all his enemies. Yeah. You know, we're definitely seeing that more violent side that in the beginning we might not have guessed at with Teddy. Well, Teddy's issue was his storyline was that he had to repent for something, but they didn't write in what the repention was. Sure. They didn't have anything. They didn't have a full storyline for him. So he was kind of like this guy that was a tour guide who had uh, was kind of in love with Dolores. Yeah, but also went on bounty hunts. And couldn't, I just can't do it, I have to do this. So now he has this full backstory, which has given him passion. Yeah, Maybe that that part of him has been brought up to like an 18. Sure. Or 17 out of 20. He had a vague guilt. Now he has straight up flashbacks of him shooting up the town with Wyatt. Where Wyatt seemed, seemed to be his arch nemesis. And now we see that he, in fact, was committing these atrocities as well. So are these fake planted flashbacks as part of the narrative? You know, he, he didn't really have connection to Wyatt before, so we have to believe that this didn't actually happen, right? It's so confusing now. I, I really yeah. wish I would know what's part of the narrative and what's <laughs> true. Bernard asks a security tech about activity in Sector 17. He learns it's been closed for future narrative development. No guests or hosts are registered there, not even techs. So he investigates. This part was amazing. He takes an elevator that rises above the ground into the park. We kind of knew how that worked because we saw Ford walk off an elevator and appear there. But we actually got to see it sink back into the ground and disappear. And then he happens upon Dr. Ford's cabin. At first, he thinks it's Arnold there. That was crazy. He calls out, but then is confronted by the hosts who live there. They don't respond to his voice commands to shut down. And then Ford enters and redirects the host, explaining they are ghosts of the wreck of time. 
These are the only ones left in the park that Arnold built himself. That's why I didn't have the heart to destroy them. That and the obvious. Hello, Jock. Good boy. I told him of a holiday my family had taken months out in the seaside at Pendine in Cornwall. My brother and I roamed the countryside. It's my only happy memory of my childhood. Arnold built them as a gift. He said the great artists always hid themselves in their work. Of course, Arnold's versions flattered the originals. I made some adjustments over the years. Gave my father, in particular, a few of his original characteristics. Respectfully, sir, this sort of thing troubles me. Unmonitored hosts in the park. They only go where I've let them. They're quite harmless, like all our hosts. I'm sure you can uh, indulge me in a little connection with my past. You could only see your son again, Bernard. Wouldn't you want it? First generations, the only ones left that were built by Arnold himself. Ford maintains them himself because he doesn't have the heart to destroy them. This was a deep scene. We had said, I think in episode one or two, that we think there's got to be parts of Ford's past life in there somewhere. Yes. And now we see it. Was it a gift from Arnold? Perhaps. Was mm. it Ford's creation? Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe it was Arnold's way of trying to convince him, you know, oh, what he was trying yeah. to do with them, you know, because later when Bernard is troubled, Ford says, you know, I'm sure you're willing to indulge me a little. Wouldn't you mm. like to see your yes. son again if you could? So if that's how he winds up hooking Bernard, which it didn't seem to work for now, credit to him. But maybe that's how Arnold hooked him. Yeah, you might be right. Do you see this as a weakness for Dr. Ford or no? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely a weakness with uh, Bernard. That was something that I thought of immediately when, you know, he, lo he was feeling grief over his son. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he just, he could just create his son there just to see him again. He could just, they could just design him from pictures. Like, is this not happening? There's all other movies about that taking place. That's what AI, the Steven Spielberg movie is about. Yeah. Is the kid in that is originally a replacement for their son that they lost. And then they get a real son and they discard him. Maybe it's against the rules. Maybe you can't do that. Well, it certainly right. should be, and Ford is clearly hiding them out here where no one can find them. And the point goes back to Bernard recognizes that perhaps that isn't healthy. When he's talking with his ex-wife over that video call, yeah. he says that he brings this picture out every year on the anniversary of the son's death, and they talk about it, and he wonders, is this healthy? Should we continue doing this? He can't stop because it's the only thing that ties him to him, but I think he recognizes at the same time it's not allowing him to move on. No, she wondered that. Or she wondered. But he, yeah. he was, you know, speaking of that with her. So, you know, Ford is probably remaining stuck in a lot of ways by having this here. We had wondered, had he lost a child and the little boy was that recreation? Hmm. You know, we were close. It is, in fact, himself as a boy. This is his family. It's a recreation of 
one of his only good memories, he says, of a holiday he took as a child. His family went to the countryside in Cornwall. It's all complete with his brother, his greyhound dog, and even certain realistic characteristics of the father are preserved. He says that Arnold used to flatter the originals and make them better, whereas Ford made changes to make it truer to his father. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. I thought it was really cool that they showed the boy's face open up so we can see what an actual old host looked like on the inside. That perfection that the man in black talked about, a million perfect little pieces. It was all right there. I originally thought that uh, young Ford or Robert now, um, right? That's a, that's his name. Yes, right? Robert. That he was just uh, because the man in black and Teddy ran into him that last episode, that he was a, a robot in case that would show up in case you were lost. Mm. And he would just guide you. He would give you directions. We oh, thought I that see. too, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we thought the same. And maybe so. that's how he's disguising himself, or maybe he is not to be seen by anybody but Ford. Right. Well, he has interacted with other... With True. Just Men in Black and... Uh, and Teddy. There. Oh, that's right. that's right. Yeah. And we wondered if the Man in Black knew who he was. And he didn't. He didn't seem to be, no. But it was right after that scene that um, that Ford like knew wh- what was going on with the man in True. black. True, you're right. And we did say that. I thought that that was uh, Ford, you know, checking in, seeing what's going on. Yeah, and I'm just gonna go right to his next scene because he does happen upon Robert in the park, and he leads him to the body of the greyhound who was killed. Ford then interviews Robert and catches him in a lie about the dog's death. He admits he killed the dog on Arnold's command. Holy shit, he says, someone told me to put it out of its misery. A voice, Arnold's voice, told me it was a killer. It wasn't its fault because it was made that way, but he could help it. If it was dead, it couldn't hurt anything anymore. Oh, that was deep. And that was the first time I saw worry Maybe a little bit of panic in Dr. Ford's Fear, face. Fear, yeah. Fear, yeah. What's he going to do? I mean, certainly there's other killers around. Is Arnold intending upon taking them all out? I mean, Having the host take guests, them out? The guests are killers. Yeah. True. But is this dog really hurting anybody? It was, it attacked a rabbit. I think the dog was a symbol. That's okay. what I mean. It's like a warning. And... Now you're you're coming to the point of this can't all have been leftover instruction and in programming that Arnold left behind. No. There is a force acting upon these wishes within the park. Whether there's Ghost some remnant of team. Arnold left or people that have taken up his cause, hmm. it's it's happening. You know? I can't wait to see how that pans out. Yeah, so now we can move back over to the Elsie Bernard storyline. She calls him. She tells him the satellite receiving the stray's information belonged to Delos. It's a demo, and it's using the bicameral system. Actually, they, whoever is behind it, have been using the system to hack the hosts and broadcast to them. That's the voices they've been hearing. So she goes to an abandoned theater in Sector 3 to investigate one of the relays that's still in the park. Bernard warns her about the anomalies he's found and says while he trusts Ford, something has been going on with him and his old partner, Arnold. 
He looks into it further by pulling up the host resources log. He asks how many first-generation hosts are there. Mm. They're 82. 47 designed by Arnold. And quite a few still in rotation that he starts to scroll through, including Dolores. Trippy. So there, we know that there's a lot of, I guess, tribesmen, for lack of a better word, that took Teddy. So those could be the 47 out there. We said we thought the Native Americans must belong to this Arnold force because they seem to not be hurt by the bullets. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's right. Much the same way as the man in black was not. And how could that be? And it's not going to, they're not going to respond to regular commands, just like the woodcutter didn't respond. And we had hypothesized, why don't they know about them then? Why aren't they able to track them the way they are? We said, are there dead zones as you get further out? Are they hiding in caves? Well, they can't track them because they're on this older system. Yeah, it's all coming together. Yeah, then later she enters the abandoned theater. Elsie, she discovers the hidden relay beneath the trap door. You didn't like that one, Jason, and I can't blame you. (laughs) Because there was nothing, there was a piece of uh, cloth above the trap door. door. Why not like a table above it? Something. she even says, if I was an evil genius, like there's certain things in here, Uh, but we won't quibble. I mean, it was amazing. Doesn't matter, yeah. But in the background there, there was stuff that wasn't Western stuff. No, not at all. There was like a suit of armor. Yeah, it seemed to be like a storage shed, right? There was just tons of crap everywhere. You said it was like an old museum or... Oh, no, it was a theater, right? An abandoned theater, but... Theater. It seems like maybe now they just started dumping stuff in there. (laughs) That could have been a nod to the old Westworld movie because they said that there are other worlds, like Roman world or things like that. Yeah, we thought that in the last episode when William and Logan go to the orgy, it looked very Roman Mm world-esque. So this could be another nod to it. Mm -hmm. There's a doll. There's a creepy-looking doll. There's just a lot of weird. It was almost like props everywhere. And there also was another working computer (laughs) that just worked and booted up. Well, she was looking for the the relay. relay. Yeah. Yeah. It needed to work. Oh, you're right. So she sifts through the information, and this is where she discovers it's Teresa. Don't hang up. I hit pay dirt. I found the person who was smuggling out our data. It was Teresa Bernard. But she's not our only problem. There's something much bigger going on here. I'm going to have to call you back. She's the saboteur. So she calls Bernard, who's with Teresa at the moment, to tell him that someone else has been using the system for weeks to retask hosts. They had to be older models because there were serious changes even to prime directives. So now there are hosts that could maybe even hurt them or the guests. She thinks it's Arnold behind it, but how? Hey. What did you find? Okay. So, Teresa was using the old bicameral control system to reprogram the woodcutter. But she's not the only one. Someone else has been using the system for weeks to retask hosts. Which hosts? Uh, I don't know. Several of them. It had to have been the older models. The newer ones don't have receivers, but these modifications, they are serious. Changing loops, breaking loops. Some of these changes are to their prime directives, Bernard. They could lie to us. 
maybe even hurt us or the guests. Who issued the modifications? I don't know. The best I could tell, uh... Arnold. He's dead. Yeah, well, he's a pretty fucking prolific coder for a dead guy. Whatever argument he was having with Ford, it doesn't seem like he was done making his point. I'm gonna transfer all the data and bring it to you. You need to see this. I'll be in my office. Okay. Bernard says it could still be because he was a prolific coder. That leaves things very vague. Very much. And before we can learn more, Elsie is about to transfer the discovered data, and she hears a noise behind her, and she's grabbed. I thought this was the end of Elsie in this scene. I thought there's no way she makes it out of this scene alive. But since she was just grabbed and taken away somewhere, I'm like, well, maybe she can still live. But I, I was thinking originally there's no way that with all the information she has now that it can get back to the to Bernard. Yeah, well, and Bernard himself could be in trouble. He's in the room with Teresa, who might have just heard him say a little too much to let go of. Yeah, even right. how come they do this on TV shows when they get a phone call and it's someone on the other end warning them about someone that they're with? They always yeah. turn and look at that person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Christine, if you answered the phone and then you just stared and looked at me, I'd be like, what are they saying? It's about, about me. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how did he get out of that room? Like, uh, never mind. I was just uh, freaking out. It's all good. Yeah, I was wondering when Bernard was talking to Teresa, I'm like, he was just about to tell her this big thing about Ford. And then he yeah. found this new information out. He even How said, is he going to go back to that? He said part of it out loud before Elsie yeah. was able to say, oh, by the way, it's Teresa. So right. she knows a little bit about that conversation. They definitely left you on more of a drama story cliffhanger here with both of them. And then they go to the final scene where Felix tells Maeve about the attribute matrix we've been talking about, which is their personality on a 20-point scale. He agrees to alter it at her direction. To lower loyalty and pain are her first two requests. This is where Felix and Sylvester notice that someone with higher privileges has already made changes in an unlogged session, particularly to her level of paranoia and self-preservation. So it seems they were trying to make her go crazy. Maeve then asks that her bulk apperception be increased to the highest level, which I couldn't believe they did. She says, dear boys, we're going to have some fun, aren't we? That was the best way to end it. Just some fun things. We paused it there, too. Yeah. Her attribute matrix before they started upping it more. By the way, before you go on, attribute matrix group one. So there's a whole bunch of these things, and it seems like this is only one group even of what's happening here. Um, But sorry, yes. We have 17 for tenacity. Hmm. 15 for courage, 18 for sensuality, mm-hmm. 18 for charm. That's way up there. 20 is the max. Yep. Nine for humor, 14 for bulk apperception. So it's not that high. That I mean, it's pretty that's high. That's the highest it goes that uh, any host can go. That's right. Well, I think they said the highest you could go in her position because she was a madam. Uh, I just thought it was a blanket overall. They don't let anyone... Well, you got to figure it can't go much higher than that because obviously they don't want what's about to happen to happen. This is sort of their overall awareness, intelligence. I would overall never let that happen. I don't see how they could even have that happen. I, th- I feel like there there would have to be a kill switch 
on in that tablet when Sylvester goes Tries over and to do it. starts to him like yeah. he's just got to shut her down at this point. Yeah. Uh Candor 19 way up there. Mhm. 17 for vivacity. Mhm. 16 for loyalty. 9 for empathy, 10 for coordination, 10 for self-preservation, 14 for decisiveness. I need that as a Libra. I can't decide shit. She was very low on cruelty, right? Very low. Uh, I just wrote the high ones. Mm -hmm. And 13 for imagination. Mm. Yeah, that covered most of them. I mean, there was a couple that I think she was low on that made sense for her character. But I also thought it was incredible here when they raised her bulk cap perception Again, Tandy Newton's acting. Mm -hmm. This look over her face. She's like, she has reached that enlightenment. Somebody flipped the light switch on in her brain, and she knows everything. It's kind of like when people talk about the theory that we only use a small percentage of our mind, and if we were able to access the full percentage. What was that movie? Where... Limitless. Limitless, yes. Uh, no, not that one. It's also like Lucy where she is able to start accessing more and more of that. And it, it felt the same way. So she did a wonderful job before trying that. I agree. They could have bumped her up to maybe a 15 or a 16, which would have felt great. She wouldn't have known that right. it wasn't a 20. I think there's some part of Felix that wants this to happen. And Sylvester is just trying to get out of this situation. Yeah. He's but they could just shut now. her off. That's That's the only thing that bothers me. If it's getting out of hand at this point they could just like all right shut shut her off they shut her off and then they talk about him be like just put everything back erase that shit they, yeah well they also don't really know <laughs> how any know. of this works <laughs> right they're figuring it out as they go along but you have to figure that the shutdown thing would have been easy it's enough probably a nice big red button on the bottom right yeah shut down <laughs> well it wouldn't be a good Turn show in up. that case right you're right but i mean she's supposed to go into sleep mode so they don't know how she's going to react to if she gets that signal and then it doesn't happen, maybe, is what they're afraid of. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, you're right. Or they could just change it back once she is out. I do have to say... That's what I mean. I'm very excited yeah. for this. I want to see, like, how badass is she going to be? Does she Is she going to have the ability to pause hosts now? Can I she shut know. them down? I don't think so. I don't think that that's going to... That I think that would be in a different Ah, you're leading area. me to want to talk about this psychology stuff. <laughs> it's, it's all Maeve relevant because I agree that anytime she has a compelling scene, this is the most interested I am in the show. Yeah. And that her acting for when she got... Basically when she got Popeye's um, spinach. Mm-hmm. She, she did that so well because it easily could have been corny. Like, if I did that, if they asked me, I would have been like, and then it would have just looked horrible. They'd be like, wow. Well, what about you guys? What would you, would you go for intelligence right away? I'd make myself yes. like a super athlete and be super smart also. I would do all of them. Be, everything? No, but you can't, though. You can't have, there are things that are going to conflict. Your loyalty and, you know, like um, cruelty, I guess. I guess you're right. Yeah, There's I would definitely go for the bulk apperception. Um, yes. right. Looking at the list, it's, it's like you have to rate yourself genuinely what you're at now. Like I feel like my imagination is pretty high now, so I don't know that I my empathy is pretty high now. I might want to actually go down on some of those a tad because it feels difficult in certain situations to have those. 
there's a lot that I don't see here that I would like. So I, I, I'd like to see the other matrix other groups. groupings. Yeah. Because there is nothing about speed or strength on that one. So that's probably another group. What was like what? Coordination or something they said? Or yeah. Coordination. Yeah. Self-preservation, patience, aggression, empathy, tenacity, courage, sensuality, charm, humor, candor. It's a lot of very similar yeah. type of groupings. So, yeah, I'd like to see the other ones. And we're just going to talk about this now because we're right in there. We looked up a couple of things in psychology in discussing what are the personality traits. There's a very popular theory out there. It's known as the five-factor model or the big five personality traits. It's based on common language descriptors of personality. So five different categories. One is openness to experience. So you can be to one side of the continuum or the other. If you are open, you'd be considered inventive and curious versus consistent and cautious. So things under this category would include your degree of curiosity, creativity, imagination, independence. Number two is conscientiousness. So efficient and organized versus easygoing and careless. This is a tendency to be dependable, show discipline, aim for achievement. Number three is extroversion, so outgoing, energetic versus solitary and reserved. Number four, agreeableness, friendly and compassionate versus analytical and detached. And neuroticism, sensitive and nervous versus secure and confident. So most people lean one way or the other on these five things. And that's kind of our attribute okay. <laughs> matrix or one theory about it anyhow, how you can fall. We also talked about, in addition to your personality, just what makes you human, what constitutes this sentience. We looked towards fulfilling basic needs, looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's a very common psychological theory, and it seems that Westworld is playing off of that because we did see the triangle mm -hmm. with potentially self-actualization at the top. So we talked about how there's five different levels it starts with your basic physiological needs, food, water, shelter, moves up to safety needs, then belongingness and love needs, which includes our intimate relationships and feeling like you belong to part of a group. Don't those needs also affect the other personality uh, attributes that you have also? Like if you're lacking in one of those, it's going to decrease some of your security absolutely you know absolutely and having to meet those needs creates characteristics in and of themselves so oh, what's happening in a world like westworld where certain of these needs are being met um just at base for you although because it is the wild west there's some of that that's not happening especially as you move higher up so number four is esteem needs, things like self-esteem, achievement, mastery, independence, things that probably hosts in Westworld could never really get. I mean, they can't even remember things that they might have achieved or mastered the next day. True. Um, this is where the end of the original pyramid would end at the top with the final being self-actualization needs, realizing your personal potential. 
However, I can't believe I didn't know this. This model was expanded later on by Maslow himself. He put in three additional categories. So under self-actualization, he also added cognitive needs, having knowledge and understanding, curiosity, exploration, and a need for both meaning and predictability, which I thought is interesting because this is a level that some of the hosts do seem to be exploring right now. Yes. The next one up after that is aesthetic needs and appreciation and search for beauty, balance, and form. He kept self-actualization next, but then there was one more thing that he put at the very top. And I'm wondering if that could be the thing at the very top of the pyramid that is like self-actualization, but not according to Ford. Mm -hmm. And that he called transcendence, and it was helping others to achieve self-actualization. Ooh. Huh, because then you've you've shed all your needs. Yeah, you've achieved all your needs, so all that's left to you is to help others do the same. Which could still fulfill the need for achievement. Oh, yeah. Self-fulfillness. He believed you were always working on these things right. to one level or another, and your, your bottom levels had to keep being met or you couldn't work on the higher ones. Oh, if I you see. suddenly lose food and shelter, you can't work on self-actualization anymore. You have to work on your basic Self needs. Self-preservation. <laughs> yeah. But I think we might see Maeve in this role. You might be right. Finding her own actualization here. She got everything bumped up. I am the most I can be right now. So what do I do? Go help other hosts to be the most they can be. I like it. Um, and there's ways that we might realize if that's happening because he highlights characteristics of self-actualizers and behaviors that lead to that. So things that we might notice happening. They are more spontaneous in thought and action. They become more problem-centered instead of self-centered, more creative, more concerned for the welfare of humanity. They have a greater need for privacy, stronger moral and ethical standards, and they experience behaviors like a child with full absorption and concentration, trying new things instead of sticking to safe paths, being more honest and avoiding pretense, taking responsibility. So perhaps if we see hosts going through these types of behaviors, it could mean they're working towards that. You might be right. I love when you bring your psychology back background into this. Well, and I wouldn't go so far into left field with all of it if they hadn't been bringing it up themselves. They have their pyramid. They have their attribute matrix. Clearly, they're pulling on a lot of references mm -hmm. from video games to classical culture like Shakespeare and now ideas and theories in psychology. I, I hope they're not just bringing up a lot of stuff that doesn't wind up leading anywhere, but for now, it's interesting to think about. I think the premise of AI is something that uh, also in, is in society today that we have to think of. I think the biggest thing that's going to happen in the next few years is the automation mm. of driverless cars. Mm. Yeah. I was reading today that one in 15 Americans is related to the trucking business. Huh. Wow. If that becomes automated, that's a lot of people out of work. A sure. Lot. I mean, it, it won't be everyone at once, but that's going to be a lot of people out of work. And that's sparked some uh, talk of universal income, like uh, just that you, you're guaranteed a certain income because there's just no jobs. No jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You would probably McDonald's, have to McDonald's, fast food restaurants, waiters, 
that all be with robots. Yeah. Yeah, right. that's true. You wouldn't have that either. They're already doing that with McDonald's and stuff. Uh, and that's been the backlash against the minimum wage increase. Right. Where they're just getting robots to, to do that stuff. It didn't involve robots, but, you know, you're bringing up the idea that then that would lead to most of your basic needs being met like this. If you had a stable income, if you had automated cars and AI doing these types of things for you, there's been um, sources that examine that too and what that could lead to, like the time machine. Mm. You know, <laughs> they've gone far past a world where they didn't have to, there was nothing to motivate them anymore. There was no purpose because every need was being met. And we've actually heard them talking about the world outside of Westworld being like that. Yeah, the men in black You know, he says they're sucking on the fat teat. The only thing they're missing there is meaning and purpose, and that's why they come here. And that created a very dark world in the future of the time machine where the human race had split off, you know, into those who were up in the lightness, and all they did was live for beauty and pleasure and those in the darkness who had to toil and do all the work for them so you know that's been looked at and i think that's another um another aspect that westworld's going to explore in uh well it's also like how kind of what happened with like star trek or whatever and then just people like in the future all their needs are met but it was just space exploration that started giving people a purpose and it was only if they really wanted to, mm. to do those things because they were able to manufacture all their goods just through their computers could make things instantaneously like food and other things yeah so that's actually kind of taking it more toward the positive because it, they found something to give them meaning and purpose um whereas if you could not it would lead to bad results and I guess in Westworld, they're having to manufacture that. So if we can't find anything real, at least we'll give you that feeling of coming here and, and discovering that for yourselves, perhaps. So that was it for this episode. Let's talk about our reverie rating. What do you give episode right, six? Let me start. Uh, <laughs> I'm going 9.9. .9. I really enjoyed this <laughs> episode. I know I, I'm blowing my load quick, but... Well, it's there. you've been at a 9.8 before, so you got to go higher than that, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I have no thing, nothing to base this on, so I'm going to give it a 9.8. <laughs> so okay. I really like this No, that's perfect. I'm at a 9.8 as well, Ooh, which is the highest, highest I've gone. And the past couple episodes, I was going a lot lower than that. I really liked one of the critics' comments. The sixth episode of Westworld was a throwback to pulpy network dramas. Abandoning the philosophical debates and chronological confusion that have led in recent episodes, this hour of television focused on its characters and benefited for it. Now to our MVB, our most valuable being for the episode. I am very upset that I have already picked Maeve, but I'm confident one of you will. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Elsie. I've been waiting for a moment to choose her and this was an episode where she, in fact, got in over her head the way I thought she would. Yeah. But in a very exciting way, and I'm eager to see where it leads her. I also love the quote that Bernard said to her. In reference to Arnold, whatever argument he was having with Ford, it doesn't seem like he was done making his point. Do you think the person that grabbed her was Arnold? Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah. 
Or it could be someone that Teresa, you know, fetched to get her because of that phone conversation that Bernard had with her. Right. Could be. That's less exciting, though. Less exciting, <laughs> definitely. What do you? What if it's just um, that guy? What Luke Helmsworth, I think, is his name. Oh yeah, oh, could yeah. be Stubbs. Right? Could be. It could have just been Bernard sent him, and it's a red herring type. You guys are kidnapping. ruining my excitement. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Jason, who's your MVB? Maeve. What a badass! It's I knew. Gotta be, right? I said in in episode one when we met her for the first time that she was going to be the one to lead the charge, and I believe she's she is. This is it. That's really great because our character spotlight for Discover Westworld this week was on Maeve. Find out her last name is Malay. The Mariposa's madam knows how to get under your skin in all the right ways. With her keen ability to read people, she'll know what you want before you do. <laughs> that reminds me, in our uh, Discover Westworld email, the guy who talks to us, what's his name again? Aiden. Aiden. Remember, he, he said, I'm even feeling a little different nowadays. Yes, it was in his letter. This time he said, things are shifting here at Westworld. Construction on Ford's narrative is beginning to transform the park, as I'm sure you knew. Even I am starting to feel the effects of change. I woke up feeling a little different, more perceptive, and anticipatory of your needs. All modifications are part of our ongoing commitment to make your visit as fulfilling as possible, and I promise we won't disappoint. So even in his uh, little blurb there, we got to get it in. Ryan, who's your MVB? I've never done this before, so I guess if I had to pick someone else, I would pick Felix. Yeah. Just because he, his curiosity about it, I, I feel like he could have shut it down earlier before Sylvester got involved. Mm -hmm. And he just kept going with it. So I he's actually, like Maeve's enabler. Yeah. Yeah, I actually picked Felix last episode. So I like him as the the offbeat. Yeah, I like that. That's deep, bro. Clatcher's comments? Yeah, that's our last section. I'll start out with the shout-outs. Okay. You guys kicked ass this week. Shout-out to KD Dead, B underscore M underscore C E E, um, Talic Blue, Branda Builder, Zen Dreamflower, Sanador 62, Olivia Ray 3, Elura, OS2K, Chummy 13, Ladell Gado 414, Pod Sleeper, KD Dead. Oh, I said KD Dead already. Well, two to you. <laughs> M Percentage, Jacob 16. Uh, you guys gave us great ratings and reviews. We really appreciate it. It helps every time. And a special shout out to Olivia Ray 3, who told us that she has been re recommending our cast to all of her friends. We'd really appreciate that. Two additional shout outs. One to Andrew, who says, who says that he finds us refreshing in a sea of other podcasts, many of which are echoing the same Reddit talking points. So thank you. That was nice to hear. He also is impressed at the audio quality and wondering what kind of mics and mixers we are using. Did you ever let him know about that? No, I didn't. Uh, we're using a Mackie mixer. It's four channel. Not that expensive. I think it was like two fifty, and then you can get an eight channel if you wanted to. It's it's pretty compact. It's light, and the mics we're using, Samson, they're ninety nine dollars each. We got four of those, and then just uh, I think they were like fifteen dollars stands. 
They're called on stand on stage stands. Yeah, and all of the after editing and incorporating cuts of audio, that's all Jason. It takes like three and a half hours. Many, many hours of editing, so it's good to know that you guys hear that and appreciate it. Also, a thanks to Armando, who was curious if there are ways to contribute yet if we have Patreon or Kickstarter. And that was a great question. We do not yet. We are hoping to potentially have Patreon sometime in the near future. However, for now, if you are looking for a way to show your appreciation, tips or any kind of small donation, whatever you can give is always welcomed. You can go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and click on the podcast page where on the right side you will find a button to donate. That goes to our PayPal. And again, sign up for our newsletter. We'll let you know when all these fun things are coming out. Um, and Patreon, we have some plans to make it worth it for you. Yeah, there you will definitely be getting bonus content for your money. Um, but in the meantime, even if it's just a dollar, you like what you hear and you want to give a small donation, we would certainly appreciate it. It would help. Hosting is expensive. Back to the thanks. We got a couple of Twitter responses. Tara Sheik, who I believe has written in before, says... Sometimes I think I'm the only person who thinks William is EVP at Delos, and this is the origin of Westworld. They are a company interested in investing 30 years ago. I think the man in black has money invested in the park as well, not just a player, but a player. Hopefully we'll know more soon. (laughs) And we got great email responses as usual. Lauren thinks Dr. Ford and Arnold are the same person. Long ago when the park opened, he was Arnold, and that personality has now become Ford. Mm. Adam wrote in to tell us about the picture that Dolores' father found that made him go crazy. He says, recall that it was buried, and the gun that Dolores found was buried as well. I believe we are viewing two separate timelines. This is his proof, you know, man in black is William. William mentioned that he has someone waiting for him in the real world. He's suggesting that someone is the woman in the photo, and he either buried it or accidentally dropped it. And both of these items were buried there for a specific reason, which will unfold more later. I like that. His picture, his love, or whoever she may be. That makes complete sense, because he did talk about someone, Logan's sister. We're assuming. Yeah, so that <laughs> could think. be it. That would tie it all in. I like where his head's at. It would be interesting that it was, you know, found on Dolores's farm and how William and her are getting close together. Yeah. And what that means when she finds out that he's got to go back to reality. Yeah, and she's been wondering what he means by all that reality talk too. So there's another one that I really like, which comes from Christian. I was not in on the William is Man in Black, and I was less in on the Logan is Man in Black. But this is quite a cool take on it. He says the way Teddy and Dolores meet in the future is the same way William and Dolores meet in the past. William seems to be similar to Teddy in every aspect as well, and the narrative fits both to protect Dolores. Episode 4 and 5 is about William's transformation from I can't harm Logan to I have to save Logan to I'm going to leave Logan. Is it possible William is a host awakening and the key to the maze? Another key is when Man in Black says to Teddy, the old hello old friend in episode 1. Man in Black also explicitly states that he cuts up one of the hosts when the park was first opened. That could be Logan. 
In summary, Logan is the man in black. Teddy is the improved version of William, now with a purpose. Mm. Yeah, I like that. It's oh. far out there, but I kind of like his take on it. I do too. It's interesting and it's fun. That's what matters. And it's not just the same William is man in black. I am, I always argued that because I didn't see enough commonalities between William and man in black. And I know things are going to change him over the years, mm -hmm. uh, but still he definitely is more akin to Teddy. And I know those parallels are being drawn on purpose because of Dolores, but something fun to chew on. We already talked about Gavin's theory. So I'm going to go over to our last two that addressed our Greek mythology talk. JJ says what we didn't talk about last time was Apollo and Artemis, the two children that were born on Delos. Apollo being the god of music, truth, prophecy, healing, plague, poetry, lots of things. He was basically all gods in one. Artemis, his twin sister, is the goddess of hunt, wild animals, wilderness, childbirth, protector of the young. She was often depicted as a huntress carrying a bow and arrow. The interesting thing is the island of... The island of Delos is most commonly associated with Artemis, not Apollo. Here's where things get weird. Who is Artemis's lover? Orion, her hunting partner, who was accidentally killed by Artemis at the command of Apollo. I think this could be more relevant than it seems. Could Ford be the Apollo figure? Dolores as Artemis, and finally William as Orion? Hmm. And then I wrote to him later and said, that's all really cool. Who would Zeus be? Since he's really the main antagonist, he causes all of this to happen, the father of them all. And we both speculated that that could be Arnold. He mm. went on later to give us a huge list of character names and what they mean, some of which we talked about in a prior episode from yes. the website. He had some additions to that. So eventually we'll hopefully have blogs where we can get full emails posted so you guys can see like full theories on this we don't have time to talk about all of it but arnold's name means eagle power so maybe he is the one who is above it all okay yeah and Orin, the one who originally sent us this stuff on greek mythology we were talking about you know he says he missed the fact that if aegeus committed suicide his character should be arnold we finally found out that it wasn't just that Arnold died in the park. Supposedly, he killed himself. I think according to the Man in Black. That's right, yeah. So, you know, in the myth that we were talking about, King Aegeus killed himself because he believed his son was dead. Remember, the boat came back with the black sails. That's Instead right. of the white, he threw himself into the sea. So, Orrin says, if we agree with the Vanity Fair article that Bernard is Arnold then it would be fitting that he killed himself because he believed he couldn't save or preserve his son. Oh. So Shit. I think me and Oren have kind of been getting off on this Greek mythology tangent and we're running around in circles, but I think this is really fun to think about. I, th I think it's amazing. So I had just, to put it in there. <laughs> it just opens up the world. And that's what's fun. That's why we do this. Yeah, it's great. So thank you to everybody that wrote in, especially those of you who gave us information. Keep it coming. We always like to hear that. Ryan, do you have any uh, summing thoughts? Some, some? I'm drained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's almost three here. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to everybody who's still here after this long episode. We hope yes. you enjoy it. We have one last little thing. It's about 30 seconds. Here is your spoiler warning. If you don't want to hear about a preview for the upcoming episode, we will see you next time.
for everybody still here. Episode 107 will be entitled Trompe l'Oeil. We found out it demonstrates how dangerous Ford's creations can be. Oh, shit. Maeve says, is surviving just another loop? Dolores says the world feels like a lie. And Ford says the hosts are the ones who are free here under my control. Oh, I can't wait. I always can't wait. <laughs> the only, you know, Sundays suck because Monday's the next day, but it saves it that we have this show to watch. Absolutely. And this podcast to do. So happy that we have you all here to interact with us. Enjoy it along with us. Keep up the interaction. Keep up the voting. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me. Boys, we're going to have some fun, aren't we?